Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. I think we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and kind of get started here. And by the way, Jason and I did get the memo about the blue shirt, khaki pants uh, Sunday. Looks like we're the only ones. I think Jeremy Tuttle did too, but... Uh, Anyway, so good to be here with you again. If I have not met you, um, my name's Josh, and I have the privilege to speak here uh, a few times a year. I've actually been coming for like five years now, I think, so it's just what an incredible blessing to just be a part of what God is doing here at your church. Always excited to, uh, to join you for worship and fellowship and opening of God's Word. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer if you just join me for a moment. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you are here that you are moving and working in the hearts and in the lives of this church, Lord, at River Valley, God, just even in the conversations I've had, just hearing the things that you're doing and uh, just being able to, to lift our voices to worship you and declare uh, who you are, Lord. You're the only one who's worthy of worship. You're the only one who has saved us and redeemed us and the only one who we can depend on ultimately in this life and in the life to come. And so we continue to Come before you with attitudes of worship as we open your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. What is it you want us to hear as individuals or as families or as a community from your word today? And we thank you for just the report of Gordon and his family celebrating their son and this great achievement in his life. And would you just continue to allow them to have an incredible bonding time together uh, this weekend and this week. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you look back on your life over the last, let's just say, two years or so, when you think about sort of the state of your heart, generally speaking, like, um, would you say, you know, and this is kind of just an answer to keep to yourself, you don't have to like shout out answers, but would you say that, that your, your heart posture before God is generally speaking, I mean, we all have our good and bad days, right? But generally speaking, headed in a direction where your heart is continually softening before God, more and more open to uh, who God is and His leading in your life, more and more open to uh, the grace of God and walking in His grace and, and strengthening in your devotion towards Him? Or would you say, as you kind of look over your life, generally speaking, over the last couple of years, that, that actually your heart's kind of drifting more towards a, a state of being uh, sort of hardened towards God, a little bit closed to Him, maybe even developing some bitterness or uh, moving away from God? And and those are a couple of generalities, but, but generally in life, if we look over the pattern uh, of a period of time, we're going to say, well, primarily, I mean, we're all at different places and how we're growing and, and being sanctified in Christ, but generally we're either moving closer to God with a more and more open heart towards God or we're, we're beginning to move away from God and, and sort of hardening our hearts or even or just drifting away from Him. And we're going we're gonna to speak to both situations today. We're looking at a king from the book of 2 Chronicles. Yeah, that's one of the favorite books of the Bible, right? 2 Chronicles, King Asa is his name. And we're actually going to kind of skip rocks through chapters 14 through 16, a little bit of an overview of his life and kingship. And uh, there's an often quoted verse from Asa's life story. If you've been around church for a while, you've, you've probably heard this verse. It's 2 Chronicles 16.9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So think about that for just a moment. That the Scriptures tell us that the Lord is, is looking 
to support those whose heart is completely His. And is that something that you want for your life? I, I know when I think about my life, when I think about my family and the future and just concerns about what's going to happen with my sons, and, and I think about, you know, health in the future, and I think about the ministry responsibilities that I have and the different temptations that come and the different battles and trials that uh, come, come our way on a, on a pretty consistent basis, I think, man, I want the strong support of the Lord in my life. I need the strong support of God in my life, and I'm willing to bet that, that you do as well. And so as we examine the life of Asa, we're going to be talking about the heart, and we're going to be looking at this idea of, of what is the heart, first of all. Uh, many ideas might come to mind when we hear that word uh, in our culture, but biblically speaking, the heart uh, includes the emotions, but it also includes the intellect, and it includes your conscience and your uh, determination, your will, your appetites, your desires. It, it really, the heart really represents sort of the core of who like, we really are as people, like the inner person. And so God is saying, I want a heart that, that is completely uh, His. And as we see in Ace's life, his life reveals the health of a heart that is open towards God and devoted to God, but his life also represents sort of the sickness of a heart that is uh, hardened or closed towards God as well. We see both in his life. So, quick background on Asa before we just dive into uh, uh, 1 Chronicles, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 14 here. He was the king of Judah. So, Israel had split into two kingdoms after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, took over. Civil war splits into two kingdoms, northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is where the direct line descendants of David continued to reign in Jerusalem. So Asa is a great-great-grandson of King David. He reigned for 41 years, uh, years about 911 to 870 BC. Okay, who cares? But he was king for 41 years. During those years, uh, there were six kings in the northern kingdom. So very unstable in the north, but uh, a stable presence in King Asa down in the south. And most of his life is characterized by a heart devoted to God. Uh, in Hebrew, that would be called a labab shalem, a wholehearted devotion to God. And so what we're going to do, and I promise I'll go through these pretty quickly, we're going to look first at six health signs of a heart devoted to God, just some observations we can make from Asa's life as we consider our own life. So starting in chapter 14, verse 1. Some verses I'll read and some I'll just kind of summarize because, like I said, we're skipping rocks here a little bit. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. So the first 10 years of Asa's reign, peace. Okay, great, right? And verse 2, And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. So here's the first health sign of a heart devoted to God or open to God, is that we're identifying and opposing the false gods in our lives, okay, or the idols, you might say. So this is what Asa does. He looks across his kingdom, and he says, man, there are false gods being worshipped everywhere, so he tears down the high places. These were altars that were built on sort of the low hills, so uh, easy access to Canaanite gods that the people tended to worship. Um, he tears down the ashram, the Asherah poles. These were either trees or, or like poles 
that were planted in the ground that were sort of devoted to the, uh, the Canaanite goddess Asherah. She, she was like this sexual fertility goddess, and so they would, they would seek her favor. And, and, and what Asa does is he goes and he destroys all of this. Now, as we think about this for our own lives, you might think, that's cool. Um, we can move on to the next one because last time I checked, I don't have any Asherah poles in my front yard. I don't have any high places, you know, in the little hill in my backyard or whatever. So, but we do have false gods in our lives, right? We, we don't have necessarily false gods that would represent some of these uh, religious trappings uh, of, of these gods that the people of Israel were worshiping, but we have other gods in our lives, other things that take the place of gods in our lives, of God in our life, I should say, and they might even be things that are okay. They might even be good things, but what happens is they can come in and they can, they can become the ultimate things for us, and we actually begin to devote even our worship, maybe sometimes even unknowingly, to these things. So, for example, who or what do you turn to when you're feeling angry or lonely or stressed out or you're feeling empty inside? You're, why do you turn to those things? Why do I turn to those things? It's important for us to ask the question, why? What do I turn to? Who do I turn to? And why do I turn to those things? And some of the things, you know, if, if you've been walking with God for a while, we just know outright, okay, this is not something I should be doing. This is something that the, the Word of God speaks against, and we just know it's an immoral activity or whatever. But many other things might be sort of neutral or amoral, and, and you know, it's like, well, the question we might want to ask is, how does God fit into that? It's not that we can't do some of these things, but, but how does God fit in, and are these becoming the ultimate thing to us? You know, I'm participating right now in a ministry called Regeneration, or it's called Regen for short. And what Regen is, and, and we've literally seen hundreds of people go through this, is it's a Christ-centered recovery program for anyone who's addicted to sin. So guess what? That's every single one of us. So I belong in this ministry. It's, it's fantastic. I love what God is showing me, even though it's also kind of painful and difficult at the same time. But one of the things that we, we try to do in uh, Regen is to identify what we turn to instead of Jesus to find our identity and to find our purpose and ultimately for our worship. And in some cases, people identify things like, well, they're turning to pornography and they're turning to substance abuse. And in other cases, people can identify things like an obsession with image or a desire to control others or perfectionism or judgmentalism. And at the end of the day, it's all idolatry. There's something we're trying to meet inside that we're turning to these other things to instead of to Jesus. And for myself, I've come to recognize I've got tendencies. I want, I want people's approval and I want respect. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll want those things and before I want the approval of God and I'll turn to those things before I turn to God. And they become false gods and idols in my life. And I have to ask myself, why? Why do I turn there? instead of running to Christ first. And see, we want God to bring His love and His healing and the sufficiency of Christ to all those empty places in our hearts so that we can experience true healing. Because Christian life's not about behavior modification. We can do that for a while and impress some people and whatever and feel good about ourselves. But man, we want the healing power of Jesus. That's why we identify false gods and idols. It's not you know, uh, it, it's not to, to prove ourselves to God or to anybody else. It's so that we can experience then the healing that God has for us. Just like Asa tore down those false gods so they could experience what it really meant to worship 
the true God. So we do the same in our lives as well. So that's a sign of a healthy heart. Ace is doing it. A second health sign of a heart devoted to God is a desire to grow in our relationship with God and to help others do the same. You notice that Asa is not just on a personal journey, but he's leading others into this as well. He's leading the entire nation back into a right relationship with God. And, and this is our calling as well as, as people of God is to personally grow, yes, but also to help others grow as well. To, to ask ourselves, do I have a passion to grow stronger in God's Word and to grow stronger in my worship of God and service of God, um, to be open to His Holy Spirit, do I also have a desire to see that be true in the lives of others? Will I invest in other people? Who am I pouring into? Who's pouring into me? Yes, but also who am I pouring my life into as well? And that's the second health sign of a heart devoted to God. Now, moving on, we're going to see that the 10 years of peace take place And then we come now to verse 9, okay? So what happens in verses uh, kind of 6 through 8 is is Asa, we're we're told about how he builds up his his military. So he's got this incredible army. But then in verse 9, it says, Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there, oh wait, let me stop there actually, verse 10. So here's what happens here, is this army comes out, and this army is far more powerful than Asa's army. He's got a great army, but he doesn't stand a chance against this million-man army. So now, okay, now we'll go to verse 11, look at his response. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God, let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So notice here that the way that this battle is won is through the divine intervention of God, not necessarily the military might of Asa and Judah. And this gives us then our third health sign of a heart devoted to God. It's a a recognition of our total dependence on God in the midst of crisis. It's interesting because Asa had 580,000 soldiers. That's not like a puny army. They were outnumbered, but he still had a lot of soldiers. But you notice his prayer, he says, there's no one to help between the powerful, that would be the Ethiopian army, and those who have no strength, that would be his army. Now that's a little bit of an exaggeration, right? Because he has some strength. And so the the lesson here isn't like we should never plan, we should never prepare, we should just sort of like wing it through life and expect God to bail us out all the time. That's not what's going on here. There is preparation, there is planning, there is strategy to our lives that we actively seek to be ready for challenges and opportunities. But at the end of the day, the heart posture, the attitude is that, God, if you don't make this happen, it won't happen. That there's a total dependence, a total humility before God, that no matter what I've done, Lord, to get ready, I need you to be the one that comes through. And particularly then when we face crisis, we can say, Lord, I've done all this, I've done all that, I've tried to be diligent, but Lord, I depend on you. And, and if you're in a crisis today, or you're just in some kind of trial, or you're just in some kind of situation where you're trying to persevere through something and get something done, are you expressing a total dependence on God in prayer along with planning and reacting and everything else. Are you in effect? Am I in effect 
saying, God, if you don't make this happen, it won't happen. That's the attitude of dependence we see. Now, after this victory, there's a prophet named Azariah who comes to Asa. Verse 15, verse 1 uh, says, Now the Spirit of God, or sorry, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him, and if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then uh, this prophet goes on in verses 3 through 6 to kind of summarize Israel's past, that they had this tendency to rebel against God, then have a stressed out you know, situation where things were going really bad, then repent, and then things would go good, and then they'd drift away from God, and then they would get you know, stressed out again because things would go bad, and they had this vicious cycle. So he just kind of describes that in verses 3 through um, 6 there. And then he says this in verse 7, But you be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. In verse 8, Now when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah the son of Oded the prophet spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord which was in front of the porch of the Lord. So here's, a, here's another health sign. The fourth health sign of a heart devoted to God is an eagerness to receive and respond to God's word and godly counsel. You see, he's the king, right? And this prophet comes and kind of speaks, and he gives him an encouragement, but he kind of exhorts him and kind of warns him too. And, you know, it'd be the temptation. You see this throughout the book of Kings. Many kings didn't like what prophets had to say, and they would kind of say, like, get out of my face. Um, You don't have any right to speak to me this way. But Asa's got this very humble heart. He has this eagerness in his heart. I want to hear what God's word says. I want to hear the counsel of a godly person speaking into my life. And that's the sign of an open and healthy heart. That doesn't mean we receive everything that somebody says to us. We test everything, right, by the scriptures, and we get more counsel if we're not sure on a situation, but it's the heart posture. You know, it's not the attitude of like, you know, I don't need anyone to talk to me about this. I don't need to hear what anyone has to say. I got it figured out, as opposed to the attitude of, no, I need to know what the Holy Spirit is, is where he's leading me. I need to know what God's word says. So whether it's reading the word ourselves or we hear the word taught or we're listening to a podcast or we're in a small group with, with others and we're discussing God's word together, it's an eagerness to hear and to receive. And, you know, I think of, uh, there's a men's group I'm, I'm leading over at uh, our Fig Garden campus and it's a little bit of an older group. It, some of the guys in their 30s and we got a lot of guys in their 40s and 50s and, and even, uh, you know, one guy who's like 80 and uh, this young college guy says, hey, I want to I be in that group. You know, he's 22. He's just about to graduate. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, you could pick some of these other college life groups. Or, you know, you, he's got his head together. I mean, he's full scholarship student, about to graduate, has his job lined up. Um, there could be a lot of sense of like, well, I'm going to be making more money than most of you guys in like two years anyway. So, right? But he didn't have that attitude. He said, I need to be in this group. I need to be around older men. I need to get that godly counsel. I've got some things in my life that are, that are kind of messed up, and I just need to be around you guys, and get that. And, and what I love is, is just this attitude that he has in his heart of, I need the Word of God. I need the godly counsel. I need the Spirit of God to work in my life. And, and that's the attitude and the sign of a healthy heart. Well then, um, so I already read verse 9. So another, another thing happening here in verse 9, actually I don't think I read verse 9. Verse 9 says, he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who resided with them for many defected to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So here's another health sign of a heart devoted to God is that others can see God at work in our lives. 
those three tribes there, Ephraim, uh, Manasseh, and Simeon, those were actually part of the northern, uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. But they're right on the southern border. So what was happening was they were seeing the things that God was doing in Asa's life. And they're like, man, we want to be a part of that. So they were defecting. They were leaving their nation and they were going down to the southern kingdom. And, and so uh, they could see God at work in Asa's life. And we're going to find in our lives as well that if God is at work... Other people will eventually notice. They will be inspired or they will be challenged or convicted or encouraged to go stronger in their walk with God as well. And when our hearts are also open and devoted to God, we're going to be drawn to those people who have uh, kindred spirits, who, who also have a heart that is open to God's work. And there's just kind of that, that sense. You know, I remember, uh, I think I've told you all, I met Gordon uh, like over 20 years ago. He was working for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, I got to know him really well because we went to this missions conference in San Diego. And so I got in a van with him and, and this guy who was like a mentor kind of for both of us named Joe Broussard. And so we really got to know each other. When you go on a six to eight hour drive together, you know, and, and Gordon is a guy who talks. He's not like he just sat there quiet. So really got to know him well. And then I got to see him lead some of the athletes that he was discipling. And, and I'll tell you, I was, I was a young, uh, I was about to go to seminary and I was, I was an intern and uh, you know what I saw in him? He was about the same age as me or whatever, but I saw a man who really loved God, who really loved people, who loved the Word of God, and who had a passion to disciple others and to fill the Great Commission. And so even as that young guy who was almost the same age as me at the time, he, he quickly became one of my heroes, and he is still one of my heroes today because you can see the hand of God on his life. You can see the love that he has for God and for people, and it, and it draws you to a man like him. Now, as we move on, verses 11 through 15, they describe then how the people of God um, assemble together. They make an oath before the Lord, and they have an incredible time of sacrifice. 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Can you imagine how good that would smell? I mean, that would be like incredible, right? Um, anyways, verses 16 through 19. Now I'm getting hungry, right? You guys are getting hungry. Um, verse 16 says, He also removed Makkah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. And he brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils, and there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So here's the sixth and final health sign of a heart devoted to God is making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. He takes his own treasures and the treasures of his dad, he puts them in the temple, but then maybe the biggest sacrifice he makes is he actually deposes his own queen mother because she refused to stop worshiping idols. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I almost feared my mom more than my dad. One thing I learned early in life was you don't mess with mama. I mean, my dad knew how to spank, but my mom really knew how to spank. I mean, she'd be like, you know, talking to you while she was spanking you, and it's like, you don't mess with mama. But... Asa has to, he actually has to mess with mom. He has to depose her and destroy her idol. Can you imagine having to do that to your own mom? But he does it because he knew that God had to come first in this situation. He made that kind of a sacrifice. And so we're going to find that as our hearts are open to God and devoted to God, that there will be times we're called to sacrifice. 
There's a cost sometimes to following Jesus. It could be to our resources. It could be to our time. It could even be to relationships that need to either be willing to offend somebody or even end certain relationships so that we can continue in what God has called us to do. So those are the health signs of Ace's heart. And I wish that, I wish that message sort of ended there. And some of you are like, I wish it did too. But uh, we do have to look at the sickness sign, okay, real quick before we go. Because two chapters really we've seen of Ace's life so far. First 10 years, peace culminates with the war with the Ethiopians and God's deliverance. Second chapter, 25 years, primarily of peace, starts with the, the word from that prophet Azariah and now leads us up to chapter 16. So let's look now, and there's going to be four, and I'll go through these quick also, I promise, four sickness or warning signs of a heart that's hardened towards God. So in verse 1, we see this. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Bashah, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. So what happens here is that king in the north, he is sick and tired of seeing all his people migrate down to the southern kingdom. And so he decides he's going to march down into the southern kingdom, build a fort, stop his people from migrating, and he's also kind of putting it in Asa's face saying, what are you going to do about it? You ain't going to do nothing. I'm right here, five or six miles north of Jerusalem. It'd be like if Canada came down into Washington and built a fort and said, no more, you know, no more Canadians going down to you know, America. Okay, I, anyways, that's, that's an example of what it would be like. Okay, So um, that's what happens. Then verse 2 says, now you remember how Asa responded to the military threat before. He cried out to God in total dependence, right? Here's what he does this time, though. Verse 2, then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Bashah, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So here's, uh, here's kind of the first sickness sign of a heart that's hardened towards God is that there's a refusal to uh, seek God's help or wisdom in the midst of the crisis. And that's exactly what he does here. Instead of going to God, he says, I'm going to have my own strategy here. He takes the treasure, treasures that he had given to God in the temple, takes them to this foreign king who worships pagan idols and gods, and he says, hey, let's make a treaty, and I'll, I'll even be like a vassal state for you. And then verse 4 says, So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel-Mame, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came about when Bashah heard of it that he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Bashah had been building. And with them he fortified Geba and Mizpah. So what happens is uh, Asa looks brilliant. It's like, hey, we had this strategy, we formed this alliance. Yes, we got to be a vassal state to them. We got to serve, you know, Damascus now, but but big deal. Israel left. And then the people go and sort of plunder and pillage the, the fort that Israel had built, and they use those materials for whatever. So he looks like he's brilliant, like he's done the right thing because he has good results. But we find out that God is not pleased with what he has done. Verse uh, seven. At that time, Hanani the seer, so another prophet now came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord, your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And then we have the famous verse, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 
You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. So he refuses to seek God's help and wisdom in the midst of it. But we remember before a prophet came to him, right, Azariah, and he had a great attitude of humility and eagerness to hear what God had to say. So as we're reading, we're kind of hoping maybe Asa will have that same attitude of openness in this situation. But sadly, we see that he has the opposite reaction. Verse 10, then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And there's the, uh, the second then sickness sign of a heart that's hardened towards God. It's rejecting God's word and rejecting godly counsel. He doesn't listen to the prophetic word this time. And you know, sometimes in our lives, God is trying to speak. And he'll speak through, there's three primary ways that he's speaking to the New Testament Christian. It's God's word, it's God's spirit, and it's God's people. And then sometimes it's through circumstances as well, and open and closed doors and that kind of thing. But, but man, you know, you might know what I'm talking about. Like, like, I remember one week I was just being short and irritable, particularly with, with my wife, Chris. But um, I was reading God's Word, and I look at James where it says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I go, okay, maybe God's trying to say something to me. I don't know. Maybe it's the other guy who's angry. Then I'm listening to a podcast, and they're talking about anger and how it doesn't please God and how we got to get, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right. And then finally, my wife's like, you know, you've been kind of angry lately. It's like, all right, I get it. I can continue down this path and just make things worse, or I can repent and say, okay, Lord, soften my heart, help me in this, help me to have more humility, more patience, help me to listen to what you're saying. God's trying to help us. He does this because he wants to help us live the life that he's called us to live in its fullness, with the joy of the Lord as our strength. And so he'll give us these warnings, and sometimes we can choose, and if you're like me, I've done this too, we, we, we choose to reject that counsel. I've heard it said this way, we need to accept the truth about ourselves even if that truth doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. And when it's godly counsel, don't reject it. Receive it and respond to it. And then thirdly, look at the second half of verse 10. It says, and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. So the third sort of warning or sickness sign is that we begin to hurt the people around us. He throws the prophet in prison, and then he oppresses the people of God. These were people who he had just years ago led to reject their idols, and they'd worship God together, and they'd fought battles together. He loved these people. These people loved him, but now he's hurting everybody around him. And when a heart is hardened towards God, we usually end up hurting people around us. It doesn't just stay here. It, it starts to affect other people, and usually it's the people close to us who feel the brunt of that first. So at the end, we're hoping, okay, maybe Asa will get it. He'll have a change of heart. But then we read verse 12, um, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. So this wasn't just like a bad case of athlete's foot or some corns. I mean, his feet were jacked up. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physician's. So the, the kind of fourth and final then sickness sign is an ongoing lack of repentance. It's okay that he sought the physicians. That's good. They're trained. They're specialists. We should do that. But the, the point here is that he only sought the physicians. He said, I'm not going to pray about this. I'm not going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to ask him why my feet are all jacked up. I'm just going to do my own thing. And you see, 
this ongoing lack of repentance means that we, we kind of walk in a constant state where we're just, it starts when we're not too interested in God. You know, with Asa, this probably started somewhere during that peaceful reign of 25 years where it's just like, things are going good. Things are easy. And you know, if we don't learn how to actively seek God when things are going good, we'll often crumble and fall apart when things start going bad. Now, sometimes that can lead us to a place where it's, okay, God, you got my attention, but sometimes it works the opposite way where we just get harder and more drifted further and further away from God, which is kind of what happens with, with Asa here. And there's an ongoing repentance, not for salvation. Let's, let's be clear, when we come to faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven through the work of Christ completely and nothing of ourselves, past, present, and future sins are completely forgiven. But there's an ongoing repentance to keep our relationship with God strong. You know, just like in a marriage, um, theoretically, let's say I offended my wife, you know, yesterday or something, by something I said, I, and it's not theoretical, by the way, but I say to her, I'm sorry, that was wrong, that, that, was, that was not kind, will you forgive me? And it's not like we weren't married because I offended her, like, oh, now you're divorced, now you're married again, now you're divorced, now you're married again. It's not like we lose our salvation, now you get it back. But to keep that relationship vibrant and strong, there's an ongoing sense of, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, help me in this. Lord, I, I repent. And we keep our relationship with Him vibrant that way. And, and when our hearts are hardened, there's really no repentance in our lives. We don't feel like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I don't need to change. I'm good, right? Or we just harden our hearts to it. So we see in Asa's life health signs and sickness signs. And I would say, as we see those health signs in our lives and in the lives of others, let's celebrate that. Let's strengthen that. Let's encourage that. And let's, let's uh, you know, just continue in that. And then where we see maybe some of those warning signs, let's, let's repent. Let's ask God to help us change. Let's even lovingly speak into each other's lives as we have those relationships and that permission from each other to call some of those things out. And then just a few other thoughts uh, with Asa's life is that, remember, starting well doesn't guarantee finishing strong. Messing up even badly doesn't erase all the good that God has done in us and through us. Asa is still remembered as a great king, a king after God's heart. He had 35 years where he followed hard after God, and then those last six years he messed up. We wish he hadn't messed up for those last six, but it didn't erase all the good he had done before. And then remembering that devoting our hearts to God is a daily decision for the rest of our lives. In other words, uh, it's not like, well, I prayed to accept Christ 20 years ago and I'm good and I'll just kind of coast through my Christian life. It's like, no, every day we get up is when the battle begins. Before I get out of bed, I realize, man, my head's already going places of stress or anxiety or darkness or whatever. And right when I open my eyes in that bed, thank you, Jesus, for a new day. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. Thank you that you love me and that I'm a child of God and I've been adopted into your family and that you delight in me. Thank you for my wife and my kids and the roof over my head. Now, when I first get up, I may not go through it that fast, but I start thinking on those things. The Scriptures tell us, set your mind on the things above. Set your affections towards Christ because it's a battle. Every day, there's a battle for your heart and for my heart and for your mind and for my mind. So would you uh, join me then for just a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, that as we look at the kings, as we look at Asa's life, God, we see that even in the midst of his struggles, there's still grace. He was still honored by the people. He's still remembered as a king who had a heart devoted to you. 
And God, we're mindful that in our lives as well, God, we may struggle. There may be some in this room who even say, I'm, I'm in that place right now and my heart is hard. But in all of that, God, we remember grace. We believe that you can give us a labab shalem, a heart fully devoted to you. We ask for that. Help us, Lord, in the midst of our battles. Help us to strengthen and encourage each other in that as well. And thank you that the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate king, is not a human king. It's not an earthly king. It's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The one who even in his darkest hour, when he faced the cross, said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Who, when he hung on the cross and died for our sins, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he was compelled by love, a supernatural love that we can never fully understand. But, Lord, we want to grow and grow in our experience of your love. And there may be here this morning somebody in this room who wouldn't say with absolute certainty if you're asked the question would you go to heaven when you die you're not sure and if you're asked the question by God why should I let you into heaven you're not sure what you would say you might say well I think I'm hopefully good enough and if that's you I just want to share with you just all our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed there's a God who loves you created you in his image And he's the only one who is truly good. And he's the only one who's worthy to be worshipped. And we all have sin in our lives. We've all told God we want to do things our own way, whether it's in our thoughts or our deeds or our words. And we're broken. And there's a price for sin. The Bible says that price is death. That's a physical death we're all going to experience, but there's also a spiritual death, a separation from God. God doesn't want you to experience that separation. He wants to have relationship with you. But he won't force it on you. But he is calling you. He's calling you right here, right now, today. Saying that Jesus came into this world. He went to a cross and he took the punishment that you deserve. In your place, he died the death you deserve, that I deserved. And he paid the price for our sin. And he was buried and he was resurrected. He was raised to life. How would you respond if you haven't yet? Or maybe it's time for you to make a rededication in your life because you've been away from God for a long time. To just say, by faith I believe Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he did. And I repent and I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life. That's something you want to do. Just pray this with me. Father, thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me. I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I stand guilty before you ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place and I believe that he rose from the grave. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control of my life and lead